Okay, good morning. We continue with our uh, Parsha class, the study of Parsha's Korach this week. This uh, week is my grandfather's Yurtzeit, so we'll dedicate our learning. Le'ili Nishmas, Shmuel Ben, Biona Gedalia, and the Shama should have an Aliyah. Parsha's Korach uh, continues. Sefer Bamidbar as a whole has not been the most heartwarming, elevating uh, experience. We went from the birth of our people in a miraculous fashion, feeling the love and affection of the Ribbonu Shalom, to the adolescence of the Jewish people in Sefer Bamidbar, a group of uh, people who feel entitled, who are complaining, despite the incredible, unparalleled bracha and lifestyle they have in their lives, nevertheless they only see the negativity. And that continues this week now with the sense of rebelliousness, with the rebellion of Korach himself. So the parsha begins, Vayikach Korach, Korach took. And all the Mephorshim jump on the fact that Korach, we know, is going to be a villain of the Jewish people, is the instigator of a great rebellion and a division. He tries to introduce a division within the Jewish people, a real sense of machlokas. Maybe since the birth of our people, this is the first attempt at a nationwide machlokas, a uh, sense of debate, a fight, of division. So all the Mephorshim jump, it says, Vayikach Korach, Korach took. But it never tells us what he took. Korach and these other individuals, Dosan and Avira, Own Ben Peles, they all got up by Moshe Israel. And they got up in front of 250 people and very eloquently and very compellingly they made their case. It's often not hard throughout history. History is full of charismatic individuals who, who prey on the most vulnerable or underprivileged and convince them, you know, you deserve more, you deserve better, this isn't right. You're being disrespected, follow me. I can bring a better reality for you. History is filled with such individuals. They don't go to the aristocracy and the wealthy and those in power. That's not the source of the backing of a rebellion. You always find those who are vulnerable, who will participate, who don't have a lot to lose when instigating the rebellion. That's what Korach does. But in introducing it, Vayikach, what exactly, who exactly did Korach take? Rashi, in the beginning of our parasha, jumps on this. And Rashi says, Vayikach Korach, Lokach es atzmo l'tzad echad, lios nechlok mitocha eida l'orer ala kahuna. He took himself, he took himself and placed himself on the wrong side of the issue. He took himself out of the tzibur. Right? One of the, one of the ideas, one of the critical values of the Jewish people is to be ma'urav imabrios. To be somebody who is integrated, who is beloved, somebody who is appreciated by and appreciates others. And here Korach removes, he extracts himself from being ma'urav with everyone and puts himself on the other side of the issue. That's vayikach. He took himself out of the very pleasant communal lifestyle and as an instigator placed himself at the forefront of trying to start a fight, a machlokas over the kahuna. But I want to read to you from the new Rav Chumash what the Rav says. Says Rabbi Salavechik, Rashi offers two interpretations of Vayikach Korach. Literally Korach took. The first, Lakach he took himself on one side with the intention of separating himself from the community so that he could raise a protest regarding the priesthood. Until then, no one had dared to impugn Moshe's authority. 
Korach was the first to separate himself from a community which was committed to Moshe and revered him. Rashi's phrase, Lokach Atmo, also indicates that Korach dedicated himself completely to that task. There was only one goal in Korach's life, to unseat Moshe. He dedicated his whole self to this diabolical plan of, under, of undermining Moshe's exalted position. So says the Rav, Vayikach suggests, not that this was a hobby of Korach, not that it was an issue that he raised on the side, not that he had a concern that he shared in an appropriate, legitimate forum, but that Korach became single-mindedly focused, his only mission in life, at the cost, at the risk, and later the cost of everything, including his life itself, his single-minded focus was, he became Meshugel Adavar Echad. He became obsessed. It became personal. And this whole parsha is the sugya of Machlokas. You know, in Gemara, you learn up a sugya, you want to know the halacha. If you want to understand the sugya, of how does machlokas ferment? How does machlokas breed? How does machlokas, how does, what's, how do you translate machlokas? Strife? Not debate, debate has a positive tone to it. Argument, strife, disagreement, division. Machlokas, you all know what we mean when we say the word machlokas for now on. This is, sugya means this is the topic. This is, if you're learning a sugya of halacha, you say, where is that in the Gemara? Where is the sugya of Where's the sugya? This is the sugya. This is the topic. If you want to study where machlokas comes from, how it's mishandled, how it's properly handled. By the way, how do you know that? The Mishnah and Avos, our rabbis certainly viewed it that way. Because the Mishnah and Avos said, When you have a machlokas, when you have a debate, which is, had the proper motivation and intention, then the debate will be honored. It's an elevated debate. It's going to be captured. There's some positive growth that will be stimulated by it. And a machlokas shalol l'shem shamayim is enomiskayim. If a debate is personal, a debate is not really for the best intentions, then it will not be something which is recorded, which is captured, which will offer progress. And the mission lists, what's a machlokas l'shem shamayim? Machlokas between shamay and hillel. Right, we studied on Shavuos about Elo Ve'Elo Divrei Elokim Chaim. The concept that you could have Shammai and Hillel, two interpretations and equal truths, even though they're polar opposite, even though they're diametrically opposed, you can have two truths. How is that possible? We talked all about it in the Shir on Shavuos. But the Mishnah contrasts it. If Shammai and Hillel represent a machlokas l'shem Shammai with pure intent, then who is the machlokas l'shem Shammai? Korach va'adaso. Which, by the way, is a question everyone asks in the Mishnah. What should the Mishnah have said? What's the parallel? A machlokas, a debate that is not pure, that is pure rather, Shammai and Hillel. A debate that's impure is Korach and Moshe. But the Mishnah doesn't say that. The Mishnah gives the example of the impure debate is Korach va'adaso and his Korach and his cohort. So the commentaries all struggle with that. One of them that's offered, and I like this the most, is it takes two sides to have a real machlokas. Moshe wasn't engaged in a machlokas. This is Korach's machlokas. Korach picked a fight. Korach instigated something that had no basis, that was not legitimate, that was not valid. Torah is not suggesting that leadership is about squashing opposition. Torah welcomes opposition. We've always had opposition. The base medrash is filled with the Mechamta Shel Torah. 
the truth is revealed because there's opposition and protest and debate, lively and rigorous debate. The Macham Torah. it's a war, the debate. It's rigorous, it's vocal. It can sometimes get personal. But that's how truth is revealed. We welcome it. But it has to come from a genuine place and it has to be driven by the motivation of discovering truth, of revealing the will, the Ratzon Hashem, the will of the Almighty. Korach was for his personal benefit. He was driven by ego. He was driven by his own sense of self. He was driven by his own craving of honor. But it takes two to have a machlokas. I think the first lesson of machlokas here is that Moshe refused to enter it. Korach tried to draw him in, which is also how machlokas works. The instigator presses the button. They find the soft spot of the other person. Where are they vulnerable? How will they be particularly insulted? How can I drag them in so that it will be publicly on display and escalate this? And Korach does that with Moshe. Moshe, we'll talk about in a second, who is the hum- most humble of all men, says, Korach, who is Moshe to think he's in charge? What an ego! He tried to push Moshe's button. But did Moshe take the bait? Absolutely not. It was the Rebona Shalom who responded. And boy, did he respond. The Rebona Shalom responds in no less than three ways. The ground opens up and swallows up Korach, Dasan, Va'aviram, and the 250 men. Then a great fire comes out and consumes those who align themselves. Then a plague strikes. And even then it's not enough. Then we have the story of the staffs, why they're placed in the uh, Mishkan. Aaron's staff blossoms and flourishes and the others don't. And finally we see that Aaron is indeed the chosen as the Kohen God. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu intercedes. There's no question he sets the record straight. But maybe the reason the rabbis describe it as a machlokas, Korach va'adaso, and not Korach and Moshe, is the first lesson for us. It takes two to tango. To have a machlokas, you need two participants. If you sit it out and you say, you know what? You can try to be in a fight with me. You could not talk to me. You could malign me. You could have all kinds of accusations. I'm going about my business. I refuse to be dragged into this machlokas. I'm still going to talk to you. I'm still going to treat you. As I always do, I'm going to go about what I have to do as long as I can live with myself. I refuse. The first way to avoid machlokas is avoid machlokas. Don't get dragged into the machlokas. And make no mistake that the person who's trying to do so is looking to leverage, is looking to pull the lever or push the button exactly where it's going to bother you the most. So lokach is atzmo. Says the Rav that the lush in the language of lokach is atzmo means korach was meshugal davarecha. This is all he cared about. It no longer was about what's the ratzon Hashem, what does God want, who does God want to lead His people. It became personal, ego. Korach set aside everything. He took a hiatus from his job. He didn't have a job. They were in the midbar. But he keilu took a hiatus from his job, a sabbatical from his job. He told his family, I'm sorry, you're not going to be seeing me much. He told his friends, I'm sorry, I'm not around. He told his team in the basketball league, I'm sorry, I can't play this season. He liquidated all of his assets so he wouldn't have to manage his portfolio. He put his entire life on hold and dedicated himself exclusively to the one mission of taking Korach down. And when a person becomes so insanely devoted and dedicated in such an exclusive way, that already reveals what kind of intentions they have. Are they good or are they bad? But Rabbi Salavitcher continues. This is the part I wanted to share with you. The Korach rebellion was a unique event. Prior to it, the people complained, protested, and murmured, but always in response to a physical need, a biological pressure like hunger or thirst, a primitive fear of an enemy or fiend that 
be it a malek, a serpent, or simply the wilderness itself. There were no political disagreements with Moshe, no ideological controversies, no rebellions. There were only protests, complaints, and quarrels, consequences of the discomfort and hardship to which the people were subjected during the first and second years that they sojourned in the desert. They wanted food and water, they were afraid and they protested. Even the Golden Calf episode was not precipitated by idolatrous ideas that corroded the moral fiber of the people and influenced their philosophy. The Echeita Ego was precipitated by the primitive instinctual horror that befalls a lost sheep in wide open spaces. It was a spontaneous reaction to the primordial terror of being lost leaderless in the wilderness. They thought Moshe would not return, and how could they survive? All the previous quarrels were unorganized, unplanned, spontaneous reactions to situations they confronted and did not know how to handle. The quarrels were generated by a mob mentality, which easily gets excited but also easily regains its equilibrium. Rashi's second inter- interpretation of the words Vayikach Korach is that Korach took others with him. In the beginning, he did not reveal anything to his prospective co-conspirators. But when the divine decree condemning the Jews to the 40-year sojourn in the wilderness was announced, he saw a golden opportunity presented itself and he revealed his plan to Dasan Aviram and others. So what precipitates Parshas Korach? It comes on the heels of Parshas Shlach. Since they left Egypt, Korach has been laying in wait, waiting for this opportunity. Since they left, Korach has been jealous, has been craving the distinction. But he knew, how could he take on Moshe? I mean, you also see so many political... Right? Korach is the candidate he's been dying to run against. But how's he going to unseat the, um, the incumbent? The incumbent Moshe Rabbeinu's beloved. Ten plagues, splitting of the sea clouds of glory, pillar of fire, mun from heaven. There's no way. Look at Moshe's popularity rating. Moshe's, Moshe's approval rating is, is, is as high as anything. There's no way he can unseat him. When does he see the golden opportunity? A scandal, a crisis arises. And within that crisis, Korach sees, now, I got to strike. This is when he's vulnerable. And what was the crisis? The Miraglim. And why did the Miraglim present that crisis? Because what was the consequence for the Miraglim? Um, all of you, the generation here, you're not going into the land. What do you mean? That's the whole reason you took us out of Egypt. The whole reason that you changed our reality and liberated us from slavery. is to go into Israel. Now you're telling all of us, this generation, no one's going to enter the land? Korach says, boom, this is it. This is my moment. They're going to all join me because Moshe has failed them as a leader. And that's the Vayikach Korach. He took advantage of the moment. He took followers and he said, this is it. I can unseat the incumbent. This is my chance to strike. He began to conspire, to criticize Moshe, to attack, to ridicule. He used all the weapons in his arsenal. In conversation with some, he was serious. In conversation with others, he was humorous. With some, he played the role of prosecutor. With others, the role of champion of justice. What's the way that you incite Machlokas? You don't get up after davening and banging the bima and all of a sudden say, I think there's a problem with so-and-so, because who's going to join you at that moment? You look isolated, you look alone, you look like a crazy person. What's the way that it has always happened and unfortunately continues to happen? You sit next to this person in shul, and you talk to them, and you point this out, then you move for the next part of the and sit next to that person. At the kiddush, you chew the ear off of the third person. At the water cooler, you find the next person. And little by little, you try to win people to your side. This one needed to be 
needed to be elevated. You had to tell them that they're also disrespected. You've got a great position for them if they support you. This one, you say, you know what? I got tickets to the great game. I'd love for you to come with me. Something I want to talk to you about. This one, and that's what Korach does, one by one. That's the Vayikach Korach, the second pshat. So the first interpretation is he was so driven, it was all his exclusive focus. The second pshat is Vayikach Korach, one by one. He takes them away. You can't just get up out of nowhere and try to tell an entire crowd. One by one. And when you've won over people in the crowd, then when you get up, the next person says, He's right. He's right. We're with him. And all of a sudden, you have a full-blown, full-fledged rebellion on your hands. Rashi says that Ruven, the tribe of Ruven, became involved because they lived next door to Korach. In fact, the tribe of Ruven, who didn't stand to gain in this rebellion, right? Korach's argument was, We're also from Levi. Why does Aaron have the distinction of being the Kohanim? We should be the priests. Why is Moshe the leader? I should be the leader. Tribe of Reuven didn't stand to gain from that argument. Reuven was obviously distinct from Levi, and yet Reuven lost more casualties in this rebellion than Levi. How did that happen? Because the tribe of Reuven encamped next to Korach. And you see from here, Chazal say from here, Oyla Rasha, Oyla Shcheno. You see that when the wicked go down, they bring their neighbors with them. You, one always has to be vigilant. One always has to be on guard and not think that they are immune. Even if you're from a different tribe, but the influence of a neighbor can be very, very strong. We've talked about this in the past and inside of Rav Nevensal on this uh, subject. Reuven had the right to say, what do you mean? God, I didn't just buy this house. There wasn't a realtor who put me here. How did Ruven end up next to Korach? How did they end up next to each other? They went to college together. <laughs> they got a good deal on the houses. Two, four. How did they end up next to each other? The Rebona Shalom assigned the encampments. God put them there. Ruven can't say to God, you put, I, I, I assume you put me here because this was a good place to raise my kids. Next thing you know, we're getting killed in a plague. Says Rav because God would say back, even when you think that you've been divinely placed somewhere, you can never let down your guard from realizing the influence of those around you. You know, a shachin, a bad neighbor, can be worse than a bad person. Because a bad neighbor is not so bad. They're a neighbor. And you think they're a good person, so you don't realize the insidious influence they have on you. A bad person, you stay far away from. You realize they're a bad person, you want nothing to do with them. But a neighbor can seem like a good neighbor, but... uh, was that an all-state commercial? Can seem like a good neighbor, but nevertheless have a negative have a negative influence. Okay, so that's the Vayikach Korach, and we see this Machlokas. Another lesson you see about Machlokas. So we talked about the methodology of Machlokas. That Korach becomes exclusively focused, which itself reveals that he was in it for the wrong reasons. We see that Korach tries to peel people off one by one till he has enough of a backing. He's created enough of a nucleus to be able to incite. Then he's ready to ignite this machlokas to a full-blown machlokas. We saw that Chazal saw that Moshe never entered it. It's Korach va'adaso. Moshe says, you could be in a fight. I'm not in a fight. It takes two people to be in a fight. You're not talking to me. You're maligning me. You're bad-mouthing me. You're, you're you know, taking back certain things that you promised. Because, so it takes two people. To be, I'm just not in a fight with you. I won't get dragged into it. Moshe avoids the fight, and that's the best way to dissipate a machlokas. But says Rav Asher Weiss, another, the Minchas Asher, another insight. First of all, just about how horrible Machlokas is, the impact, the effects of Machlokas, how terrifying they are. The uh, Chazal say, Rashi quotes, 
From here we learn the severity of a machlokis, of a bitter conflict. Because Beisden, an earthly court, only punishes a person for his sins until he reaches the age of physical maturity. And the heavenly court, the Beisden, Shamala, doesn't hold someone accountable till they're the age of 20. And here is a punishment for the machlokis, even nursing infants were lost. They went down in the plague. Because that's the impact. When machlokis spreads, Gemara has a lashon, that when a machlokis spreads, it takes all kinds of casualties. Innocent people go down with it. And we've also seen that true. You know, friendships have broken up, circles, people are isolated, communities fall, institutions fall, all because of an unnecessary machlokis that nobody even knows about. Nobody even understands where it began. I don't want to reference any specific yeshivas that are broken down. There was a, who should be the Rosh Yeshiva? Millions of dollars are transferred, a big debate. What was the fight about? No one knows. Nobody remembers. All they know is they're not talking. Families. How often I counsel families with machlokas that they're not talking? No, we don't talk to that uncle. We're not invited to those simchos. We don't get together. What, what happened? Honestly, I don't even know. But that's the minog in our family is that I know from my parents that we don't talk to that cousin. Something, the grandparents were in business, but we don't talk to them. Machlokas can destroy families, it can destroy businesses, it can destroy, it can destroy community. It's a horrible, horrible thing. So uh, Rav Weiss says the following, that Korach's followers were not punished as individuals, but as a community. Because when a community allows the flames of Machlokas to rage in its midst, the guilty and the innocent suffer together. Men, women, and innocent children. And the terrible punishment incurred by the Machlokas was expressed by, by the Arizal to explain the following Pasuk. Later in Sefer Dvarim, the Torah says, if you're unable to understand an issue, it's talking in Parsha Shoftim, I think it's Parsha Shoftim, about when you go to the judge in your days and you bring him an issue and he's supposed to adjudicate, I know you had a question or a comment, if you're unable to understand between blood and blood, Dam Ladam, between din and din, judgment and judgment, between negal and nega, plague and plague. There are divrei rivos b'sha'arecha. There's a debate within your gates. So the Arizal explained it as follows, says Rav Asher. Following the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash and the terrible calamities that befell Klal Yisrael, the angels were unable to understand Hashem's judgment. The angels saw the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Jews are dead. Their blood is running in the streets, and they challenged the Almighty, Ribbono Shalol, the Master of the Universe. You wrote in your Torah that there's a mitzvah of Kisei Adam. You have to cover the blood when you shecht an animal, and yet the blood of Klal Yisrael is running through the street. It's neither covered nor buried. You wrote in your Torah concerning a, a house with Tzara'as that you empty the house, and only then the Kohen will inspect the house. Yet the Beis Hamikdash and all its contents were consumed by fire. You wrote in your Torah with Shechita, you cannot, you can't shecht an animal and its child the same day, and Chana and her seven sons were killed the same day. Challenge the Malachim to the Almighty. You're violating the very rules you gave to your people. How could you do it? They couldn't distinguish between Dam Ladam. How could it be the rules you gave them about Dam and how you're treating their Dam? Between Din Bedin, the judgment rules you gave them, and the way that you're executing judgment. Why were the Jews subjected to a punishment more severe than the Torah? And Hashem said, you know what the answer is? 
when the angels have a pella, they have this question, dam ladam, you're not treating them the way you told them they have to treat. Bein din ladin, you're not having judging them the way they have to judge. And what's Hashem's answer? Divrei rivos b'sha'arecha. You know why? Because there's machlokas. Klai Yisrael was punished with a heavy hand because of the machlokas. It drives away Hashem's mercy. It invites strict justice in its place. And that was the that's what the Malachim couldn't understand. Divrei rivos b'sha'arecha. When there's machlokas, Hashem says all the rules change. All the rules. I have no mercy. I have no pity on people who pursue and live with machlokas. Peace, we know, shalom is the highest value. But Rav Weiss points out, he quotes the Chidush Arim, who notes the amazing irony, and then we've got to start with the Parsha here. He notes the amazing irony of this accusation. What did Korach and his Eidah say? He says, uh, We're all equally holy. What's going on? It's a pintalayid, we're all equally holy. By the way, more Kabbalistic leaders see, and there is a tradition that Korach was not this villain we depict him to be. That Korach had a very holy soul. And he had a very legitimate point of view. There is a holiness within every single Jew. We should see that spark of holiness, the equality of all people. But yet the way he expressed it and pursued it was of course wrong. But what's his challenge? Why do you think you're better than us? You're such an ego, Moshe? You have to raise yourself above others? So the Chidush Arim notes the irony of this accusation. If you want to ask that of others, ask it of others. If there is anyone in the world that you cannot accuse of being driven by their ego, it's whom? It's Moshe Rabbeinu. And how do we know that? Because God himself testifies on Moshe's behalf. Moshe is the most humble of all men. So Korach, the source of Korach's rebellion, doesn't have teeth. It can't stick. It was such a lie. Says Rav Asher, it says, Moshe is of Mikol Ha'adam. Adam stands for Avraham, David, and Moshe the first letters of their names, all three of them were praised for their humility, and yet Moshe was the most humble of all. Moshe is the one who says, while Avram said, So Korach was no fool. How could Korach have made such an inaccurate accusation? He gets up and he says, Moshe, you egomaniac. What do you mean? It was just, Hashem just told the Jewish people, just punished Miriam and said to Aaron, one thing I'll tell you about my Moshe, He's the most humble person. He has no ego. Zero. God himself testified that. So how is it that Korach was able to incite a machlokas with an accusation that should have had zero credibility? And Rav Asher Weiss answers, I think, so insightfully and accurately that that's the nature of machlokas. When people want to enter machlokas, when machlokas is escalating, then it doesn't matter whether there's any truth to it. People don't stop and say to themselves, does that make sense? Does that... What they're saying about so-and-so, what I know of them, does that make sense? Is that what I've seen or experienced with my own eyes? As the machlokas rises, as it escalates, as it's fed, as it grows, people just jump on board because they like the excitement. They like the, the action. They're somehow stimulated by this reality show unfolding before their eyes. And they don't stop and say to themselves, does that make any sense? And you see that, says Rav Asher Weiss, in this very Machlokas. Because what Korach accused Moshe of is 
if anything, the last thing Moshe could be guilty of. And yet, the machlokas took root because that's how, how vulnerable we are to that kind of, uh, of machlokas. Okay. Let's get through some psukim here. Let's look at the text that I wanted to get to. Um, we should actually finish our overview of the, of the parsha. So Dustin Ba'aviram owned Ben Palace, 250 men. God responds. Yet ironically, we're going to see this again. God says, you know what, Moshe, let me at him. We had just had this in last week's parsha. Right? That same image. God's like, enough. Let me destroy him. Let me at him. Moshe's holding God back and God, let me at him. And Moshe wins over God again. And God says, fine. You win again. I won't destroy all of them. But let's at least eradicate from the midst the negativity, the toxic uh, cancer. So the ground opens and swallows Korach and his followers. We talked about the fire, which is followed by the plague, which is followed by the blossoming staff. We've talked about in the past the notion of uh, an insight of Rabbi Herschel Schachter, Rabbi J.J. Schachter's father, Olav Shalom, who said that the first three are all about knocking down the opponent. A machalokah should not just be about defeating the opponent because you've knocked them down. The last statement was our own staff blossoming. It should be that we blossom, that we rise up. The fear remains. Aaron's duty as the Kohen Gadol is reiterated. We have the role of the Kohanim and the Levium, the gifts that are given to each of them, and that is the Parsha. We're going to look at Perak Tezayin, Pasuk Ches. Perak Tezayin, Pasuk Ches. Chapter 16, verse 8. It's on page 822, 822, 823 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And this is where I think we last left off at the last Parsha Shir on Parsha's Korach. Vayama Moshe al Korach, Shimuna b'nei Levi. Moshe says to Korach, right, he's been unsuccessful. Korach raises the rebellion, the challenge. Moshe says, look, everyone offer an offering. We'll see which one Hashem accepts. And now he turns to Korach. Vayomer Moshe al Korach, Shimuna b'nei Levi. Listen, you child of Levi, offspring of Levi. Why does he refer to him that way? Listen, you fellow Levite. Hamaat mikem ki evdila lokei Yisrael aschem meadas Yisrael akiv aschem meilav. Laavodas avodas meshkan Hashem v'laamod lefnei haidol l'sharsam. Is it not enough for you that you've been distinguished to be a member of the tribe of Levi? that you've been drawn close to Hashem, you have a distinguished role, a place of service. You serve before the people. You're just not one of the crowd. You're not a lowly Yisrael. I'm a Yisrael, I could say that. You're not just a lowly Israelite third Aliyah guy. You're a second Aliyah guy. You get number two. You have to get the first Aliyah. You know, it's a very limited pool who get the second Aliyah. The whole world can get the third Aliyah. You're a second Aliyah guy. You get to walk out during Musaf on Yantif and wash the hands of the Kohanim. The rest of the Israelim have to sit there and hear the Chazim go on. You get to walk out, take a break, and wash the hands of the Kohanim. You have a position of distinction. Listen here, you B'nai Levi, you fellow Levi. You have a role. It's not good enough for you. You need to be number one. Hashem drew you near in all of your family. It's not enough. You got to be number one. You got to be the Kohen. Therefore, Therefore, you and the entire assembly that are joining you, that are going against Hashem, and for Aaron, 
What has he done that you're protesting him? My poor brother Aaron. Is there a nicer guy in the world than Aaron? Oh, if Shalom, the road, if Shalom. The Karvan, the Torah, Aaron. He's the first Kirov person of all time. He's the peacemaker of the entire people. Aaron's beloved by everybody. Aaron? That's who you're picking on? So Moshe appeals directly to Korach, which is again part of the lesson of Machlokas. We'll see it in a moment. But Moshe doesn't stand on ceremony. Who should have come to whom? Korach should say, listen to Moshe, can I meet with you? Before we take to social media and make this a public fight, before we try to... You know, you see right now there's a rabbi in London, a rabbi in England who's being attacked, who had to actually step down from his role with Beisden, and I can relate to him because I was attacked from a similar source, let's just say it like that. But social media is filled with petitions and campaigns and attacks, and it's having an impact on Parnassah, on family, on institutions, because it takes to the public. Moshe doesn't stand on ceremony. You know, a Korach should come talk to me. I'm going to get up. I've got the bully pulpit, Moshe could say. I'm the leader of the people. And I'm going to tell them all he's great. Moshe doesn't do that. Moshe El Korach. He talks to Korach. He appeals to Korach. Why should this escalate to a Machlokas Korach? Let's deal with this. Like two B'nai Torah. Rashi says, Moshe El Korach. He spoke to him softly at first. Korach, my brother, my fellow Levi. What's going on? When he saw the stubbornness, the intransigence of, of Korach, Amr actually When he saw he was not making any headway, and in fact the opposite, Korach was making headway by recruiting others. He realized he had to go public. And that's when he talks to Bnei Levi. So he's first in Korach. And then B'nai Levi, now he's got to take his comments public because he realizes that Korach was making headway with the, with the public. I'm going through Rashi first, then we'll go through the other Mephoshim. Says Rashi, he tells him, You, Levi, you've got a front and center position. You get to stand publicly where? You get to sing. When the Korbanos are being offered, they have to be accompanied by the song of the Levim. Hashem drew you close for that job. The rest of the, the rest of the Jewish people, they've got to stay outside. You got a seat in the table. You get to come in. You have a distinguished position. You have a special service and role. Lachain, says Rashi. I'm supposed to get out Lachain, This is the payback. For that, for giving you that role, for giving you that position, for elevating you, that's your payback. Now your payback is this rebellion? Come on! Are you kidding me? So what does Moshe do? Moshe now tries to recruit. He tried talking to Korach directly, didn't work. He addressed B'nai Levi, the masses. He wasn't getting anywhere. So who else is involved in this rebellion? Dasan Va'aviram, who are professional instigators. We've seen them before. They live off of, you have those people, the Kitsoni personalities, who just, they don't really care what the Machlokas is. I'm in. They see there's a mob forming. They seem, they hate authority. Anyone challenging authority, I'm in. 
Last week, this was my grievance. Next week, that'll be my grievance. They're, they're actually contradictory grievances. Doesn't matter. Challenging a thought. I, hate, I hated my third grade Rebbe. So for the rest of my life, I hate rabbis. Anyone who's against the rabbi, I'm in. Could be you don't like the egg salad at the Kiddush. Or it could be because he's too much to the right or too much to the left or innovating. Whatever reason you don't like the rabbi, I'm in. Those of are professional instigators. So what happens? Moshe calls them. They call them, but they said, not interested, no meeting, Moshe, not going. We should meet with you. We should reconcile with you. Was it not enough? You took us out from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? You understand, obviously, the reference. Moshe made a promise to bring them where? To a land flowing with milk and honey. And they say, you took us out from a land flowing with milk and honey to die here. Why? So you could dominate us? You want to dominate us even more? Not going. You took us out from the land that was promised, a promised land. You didn't even bring us to one. You couldn't get the job done, Moshe. As a leader, you had one mission. Take us out of Egypt, why? To take us into the land. You failed. I should meet with you. I should vote for you. I should get behind you. You gave us a land of heritage, a field of vineyard. Even if you would gouge out the eyes, even if you would gouge out our eyes, we're not coming. How does Moshe react? So doesn't Vaviram now challenge Moshe personally? Not only are we behind Korah, that everybody's equally holy and so on, not only are we behind Korah, but Moshe, you're a failure. You're a failure of a leader. You can't get it done. And what does Moshe react? How does he react? We see a little defense from Moshe. Vayichar Moshe Ma'od. It's very angry. Rashi says, Nitzta'er Ad Ma'od. He was pained. He was anguished. Why was he anguished? Because he couldn't get into the land of Israel? No. Because that, the people's failure. And that was the Ribbono Shalom decision. Why was he anguished? He hears Dasan Va'aviram and he turns and he says, Do not accept their carbon. Are you kidding me? Hashem, they are so unworthy. Done. You know those people I always defend, I always come to their, I have their back? Done. That's it. And he says, Lo chamor echad mehem nasasi, lo hareosi es achad mehem. Are you kidding me that they're accusing me of personal gain? They're, they're challenging my personal leadership? Do you know that I didn't even take one donkey of theirs? I've not wronged one of them. I haven't been reimbursed for one donkey ride I took as the leader of this people. I haven't taken one donkey per diem as the leader of this people. Forget about it. Forget about it. So let's go back and look at these psukim. What's going on here? Rashi Pasukit Beis. Moshe calls for Dasan Va'aviram. Vaishlach Moshe. Moshe calls for Dasan Va'aviram. Mikan she'ein machzikim b'machlokas she'ein Moshe machazar acharem la'ashlumam b'divrei shalom. He's trying everything. Again, the Chazal say, Rashi's quoting the Medrash Tanchuma, that Moshe does not stand on ceremony. He's so eager to deflate and to reconcile the machlokas, that he's not saying, Hashem destroy them, shows in charge, how dare they? He's not writing on Facebook, can you believe these low lives? 
He's meeting with them directly. The way to diffuse machlokas is face to face. It's very, very easy to paint somebody horribly when you don't have to look them in the eye. To say all kinds of things about them, to post all kinds of things about them. When you have what's called the courage of the keyboard. The courage of the keyboard. But you know, if you had to look someone in the face, standing right next to them, would you say those things to the public? If you had to look them in the eye, could you say those things that aren't entirely true, that are not all true? So Moshe understands that the best methodology to diffuse the machlokas is a face-to-face meeting. And Rashi quotes Chazal, Ein machzikin b'machlokas. Don't embrace machlokas. Don't contribute to machlokas. Don't escalate machlokas. Meet with the other person in the effort and the attempt to bring a sense of shalom. And that's what the Orachayim also elaborates. Look at the Orachayim HaKadosh and Pasuk Yedbeis. Says the Orachayim, when Moshe has this idea to call Dasan Vaviram, says the Orachayim, it occurred to Moshe, you know what? The same way, how did Korach instigate the rebellion? By picking people off one by one. How can you undo the rebellion? By winning them over, winning them back one by one. Once there's a mob mentality, it's hard to diffuse it. But if you can go and find some of the opinion shapers within the mob, and you can turn them, then you can win it back. What was, when I went to Kellogg for one summer, we had a class on, um, on, on uh, reconciliation, negotiation, and they showed us a famous old black and white movie about the power of persuasion. There was a hung jury, and the one guy decided to win them all over. 12 Angry Men. Yeah, that's what it was, it was 12 Angry Men. It's an incredible film, right? They're all against him. And in fact, that was the, cl- the course at Kellogg. That particular class was, for a few classes long, was analyzing and taking apart that movie to understand exactly what he did. What was the methodology that one by one turned the entire jury? Bill Cosby hopes won't happen to him. But what was the methodology that one by one turned the entire jury into his, uh, to vote with him? So that's, Moshe realizes. If they were picked off one by one to join, till ultimately they formed a mob, the way to take apart and dissolve the mob is to pick them off one by one and to win them over. And that's the Vayishlach. That's why he's sending for Dasan Vaviram. Ulay Arviach Daisan Echad Echad. He'll win over their opinion one by one. Gamba Emtsas Achashibas Hashirim Achshivam Ladaber Alehem. Bechlalos Hanoadim. You know, what's the first way that you do it? The great Moshe says, You know, can I meet with you? Listen, why are you, why are you identifying with them? You're better than that. You're better than that. You know there's no truth to this. Why are you doing that? So the first thing is they'll be honored and flattered that Moshe wanted to speak to them. So that'll soften their ear to listen. Moshe sent to call them. Moshe doesn't go to them directly. He does it through an intermediary. Why? To remind them that Moshe is the man, that Moshe has a chief of staff, an assistant, a secretary. Moshe doesn't appeal to them directly, and here he's not standing a ceremony, but says, he's doing it strategically through someone else. He is proposing a meeting to feel it out, to see whether Dustin and Aviram will be open, will be open to, uh, to having a conversation. The Ramban is bothered. If you look at the Ramban on Pasuk Yudbez, Vayishlach Moshe Lekrola Dustin and Aviram, 
they are as much the instigators of this like Korach. They as much were the leaders of this rebellion as Korach. So here Moshe is appealing, he spoke to Korach, and now Dasan Vaadviram, because all three together were the leaders. But if you look at the next paragraph, which is what I wanted to draw your attention to, where is On Ben Pelas? The Parsha began by listing a few names. Vaikah Korach, Korach takes who? The second half of the first Pasuk. Dasan, Vaviram, Von Ben Pelas, and the Chamishim Masayim, 250 men. And now we have the rest of the story. We have Dasan, we have Aviram, we have the 250 men. What happened to Om Ben Pelas? Where did he go? We don't find he's punished, we don't find he dies, we don't find he's swallowed up, we don't find he's mentioned again. So he's named as one of the heads of this rebellion, and then while all the other names we find again, Owen Ben Pelas goes missing. He's on the back, back of a milk carton. So first says the Ramban, the possibility is, he wasn't as Choshev. Somehow he got mentioned, but he wasn't nearly as significant or as important. So Moshe is trying to identify who are the opinion shapers here. Who are the personalities with charm and charisma that others will follow? And if Owen Ben Pelas is not the man, he's not going to waste his time trying to win over Owen Ben Pelas. That's the first possibility. But there's another possibility. What's the second possibility? Why did he change his mind? Gigi, you're going to love this. He changed his mind. He backed out. He disappeared from the rebellion. Anyone know why? Gemara Sanhedrin Kuftes tells us. Because his wife knocked some sense into him. Mrs. Ben Pelas, whose name we don't know. I don't know if she was Mrs. Ben Pelas or Mrs. Pelas. I don't know how it went exactly, what was on her driver's license. But she says to her husband, Own, own buddy, own my dear, what in the world are you doing? And what was her argument? What was her great argument to own? Own, buddy, you don't stand to gain. Korach is the one vying for the position of Aaron. You're still going to be low on the totem pole. So you're entering this rebellion and you don't know which way it's going to turn out. And you might be choosing the losing side and be swallowed up by the ground. All for what? The risk-reward here in this for your role in this rebellion is just not worth it. You don't stand and gain enough from what you're going to risk. So you're out of your mind. Did he listen? No. So what did she do? What women throughout Tanakh do, it's a brilliant method. What did she do? She gave him a hard drink. And he got tired and sleepy. Chazal says she gave him a hard drink. She lay with him. He fell asleep. And then what did she do? She stood at the entrance to the tent. And she uncovered her hair. And why did she uncover her hair? Because Korach and Dasan Vaviram and all the 250 people of the rebellion kept coming to get own. Own, buddy, you're missing it. It's unfolding. The big fight. Got this big debate. Come on, we need you. And every time they came near her tent, they saw her. Immodest, and whoa, I'm so, sorry, I'm sorry, Mrs. Ben Pelas. We'll come back later. Sorry, didn't mean to walk in with your hair uncovered or immodesty. 
So she intentionally made herself a modest, says the Gemara, as a barrier. So it tells you that even those who were rebellion still had a level of modesty to them. In one area they were trying to preserve. And in that way she protected her husband. And Chazal contrasts the role of the wife of On with the wife of Korach. Korach only got into this because his wife's the one who pushed him in. Where else do we see that in Tanakh? Haman's wife. Come on, Mordechai won't bow down to you. What are you kidding? You deserve better. You're the number one. You're the man. Korach's wife is saying, Korach, what are you talking? You're also from Levi. What's your cousin Moshe? Your cousin Moshe is taking all the power. Your other cousin Aaron is the Kohen Gadol. Come on, it's enough. I'm embarrassed. I go to family parties. You're not the guy. The cousin's the guy. Come on. You deserve it. Take him down. She pushes Korach into this. Whereas the wife of Own kept Own back, and that's why we don't see his name again. Chazal understand from here, I just shared this at a Sheva Brachas last night. Chazal see from here that when the Torah designates in marriage, that the goal of marriage is to be an Ezer Kenegdo. It's a funny formulation. Ezer Kenegdo, a helpmate opposite him. What does that mean, an Ezer Kenegdo? So sometimes when you're an Ezer, you're acting Kenegdo. And sometimes in order to be an Ezer, you need to be Kenegdo. Sometimes being the Azer is Kenegdo, and sometimes being Kenegdo, you're being an Azer. What does that mean? So if marriage is just, you know, yes sir, yesing the other person, you're right, you're all that, you're great, you could do no wrong, you're perfect, the world mistreats you, then you're acting Kenegdo, you're acting against the best interests of your spouse. And sometimes if you go Kenegdo, if you explain to them, I think this is a bad idea, and trust me, I have your best interests in mind, I love you, so you can trust me when I tell you I think this is a bad idea, then you're really acting as an Azer. To always be an Azer is not a good marriage. To always be Kenegdo is certainly not a good marriage. The secret to marriage is knowing when to be an Azer and when being an Azer is acting Kenegdo. When to not be Kenegdo and when being Kenegdo is acting as an Azer. That's the Azer Kenegdo. So Korach's wife thought she was being an Azer by pushing and urging him on, but in that way she was acting Kenegdo against his best interests. Own's wife was Kenegdo. You're not leaving this tent, buddy. Have another drink. L'chaim. You're not leaving. She was acting Kenegdo, and in that doing, so doing, was acting as an Azer, was really preserving his, his best interests. So that's where Owen Ben Pelas disappears. We don't see Owen back again. So what happens? He sends for Dustin Vaviram. He's trying to win him over, one by one. And what's Dustin Vaviram's reaction? So insulting. First of all, they say, Lo na'ale. Maybe there was something prophetic in their words, Lo na'ale. Rashi says, Lo Their mouth failed them. They were right. Lo we're not coming up to you. It was prophetic. We're not going up, we're going down. Now where'd they go down? Not just the like, you're going down, buddy. But where'd they go down? When the ground opened up, they went all the way down to China. I don't know, they came out on the other end, I don't know. But they went all the way, all the way down. It was prophetic. Says the Kliyakar, Vayomer lo Moshe didn't ask them to meet on the top of a mountain. Yeah. Why does it say Lo Na'ala? Moshe didn't say, we'll have a showdown on the top of a mountain. Yeah. And what was this accusation? Even if you come and gouge out our eyes, we're not coming. It's a funny response. Even if you were to pluck out our eyes, we're not coming. Why didn't they say, even if you cut off our arm, cut off our leg, even if you punch me in the stomach? What did they come up with, even if you gouge out our eyes? Rashi there said, I don't care how you threaten us. You could threaten us with, with gouging out our eyes. We are not coming. But the Svarno understands these words differently. 
They weren't saying, if you gouge out our eyes, what are they saying, says the Tzvarno? You can't pull the wool over our eyes. The charade is up, Moshe. You think you're better than us? You think God wants you in charge? You think that you can make us fall in line behind you? You can't gouge out our eyes. You can't blind us to the truth. We're opening up the eyes. We're showing them the light. You've been blinding everybody, and we're giving them sight again. Even if you can't blind us anymore. That's the Rashi and the Sforno disagree. So says the Kliyakar, back to our Kliyakar. What, why does it say, Lo Na'ala, we're not going up? What mountain did Moshe invite them up to? Ubi our Inyan, Shemoshe, Shalach Acharem, Ladabra Alibam, Divrei Shalom, Vehem Achashtu, as Moshe, Shalach Shalach Acharem, Levishem Gedolam, Vaikab Machlokazeh, Verotza Moshe, Litinam Ezamino, Shasrara Derach Shochad, Kedisha Yestalkum and Machlokas. They thought Moshe was going to bribe them. Oh, you crave honor? Listen, I got it. You're using this as a negotiating tactic. You want a bigger salary. You want a better job. I got it. You're using this for leverage. Done. Fine. You won. You beat me. I'll give it to you. We're not going up. This isn't about our having a better title or making more money. We are not susceptible to being bribed. We're not taking it. Because... Bribes blind. The language of the Torah is of the Torah is that a, bli- a bribe blinds the person. So that's why they said lo tenakir. We're not get, lo na'ala, We're not going up, meaning we're not accepting your bribe, and therefore we won't be blinded by it. That's really what's going on over here. Says the Kliyakar. You're not going to blind everyone who's with us just because you gave us a promotion. It's not going to work, Moshe. We're not going up. We have no, we have no interest. Right? Instead, they're actually about to go down. Exactly. And the Kliyakar goes on, but we're going to run out of time. So they say, you failed to bring us... You took us out of the land of milk and honey, and you failed to bring us into a land of milk and honey. I, um, and how does Moshe react? Vayichar Moshe, Pasuk Tezvav. Look at Rashi. Moshe says, he objects, God, don't you dare accept their carbon. Don't do it. Don't accept their carbon. Which carbon? What is it that Moshe was appealing to God not to accept from these low lives? So Rashi says, Remember, the next day they're all bringing incense offerings to be able to prove which one is accepted and therefore which one God which one God supports. So that's what Moshe is saying, Hashem, they've stooped so low. Whatever you do, don't accept them as leaders. I beg of you. That he wasn't talking about the Ketoras, but he was talking about the Karban Tamad, the daily sacrifice. Every individual has a part of the daily sacrifice. Don't accept their part of it. That's how the Ramban understands as well. Are not lined up to bring a Ketoros the next day. They're not among the candidates to submit their Ketoros. Says What Moshe was saying was, they're vying to be Kohanim. They want to be the ones to offer sacrifices. That's what Moshe is saying. Do not turn to their Korban. 
Nothing to do with the Ketorah. So Bachlok is Rashi and Ramban. What is Moshe arguing to Hashem? Don't accept their Ketorahs. Locha Morachan, how does Moshe react? You think this is personal for me? You're accusing me of my ego? Says Moshe, do you understand the sacrifices I've made? Forget that I had to separate from my wife. Forget, look at my children whom I've neglected and couldn't spend time with. But do you understand that I didn't take a reimbursement for one donkey ride? The donkey I rode from Midian down to Egypt in order to save all of you. I didn't ask to be reimbursed. Klaisro didn't cover the mileage on my donkey, the gas. True, I took my family down on the donkey. So true, I wasn't eligible to be reimbursed for the portion of the donkey ride for my wife and children. What about for me? So Moshe Rabbeinu is, is, is infuriated. He's insulted. He cannot believe it. Look at the Sforno. Lo chamor achad mehem nasas. He says the Sforno. Afil b'masha yana hedyo mechavero lo nehanesi mehem. Shelo kibalti mehem afilu chamor b'ashala. I didn't even borrow a donkey. What normal people do interpersonally to borrow one from the other, even though it was for the purpose of this mission and this job and saving all of you, I didn't even borrow one donkey. This wasn't for me. If it were for me, I would have gotten rich out of this job. I didn't get rich off this job. All I got was misery, your complaints, your negativity. All I got was having to save you over and over again. I didn't benefit. I didn't get a job. I don't have benefits. I don't have a pension. I didn't even get reimbursed for one lousy donkey ride. And you're going to accuse me that I'm in this all for me, that this is about my ego. What are you, crazy? What are you, out of your mind? And that's when they lose Moshe's support. And then Moshe turns to Korach and says, Offer. I'm going to leave you with a question. It's a question which occurred to me just this morning, and I don't have a good answer. And maybe you do, and if you do, I would love to hear it. But when Moshe says to them, Look, you're challenging me, you're challenging Aaron, here's the deal. Tomorrow everyone's going to offer incense and a pan and light a fire, and we'll see if Hashem accepts it or doesn't accept it. And Korach says, Okay. Why in the world did he say, Okay? Why was it in his best interest to participate in that competition? If I'm Korach, I say, who are you to tell me what to do? We're not doing this on your terms. We're doing this on my terms. This is exactly the problem, that you think you can tell me what to do, that we're going to settle this your way by offering this incense. Absolutely not. We're not doing it your way. We're doing it my way. Why did Korach go along? I, I genuinely have this question. I don't have a good answer. Why did Korach go along with it at the moment? Unless... Korach was so egotistical and so distorted in his thinking that he thought, you know what? Because you know in a machlokas, when you repeat the lie enough times, you really start to believe it. Especially the other participant in the machlokas. You repeat it over and over and over again until you actually believe it. So Korach started to believe that really God wanted him to be the leader. So maybe that's the answer. He was willing to do it because that's how confident he was he would be chosen even though he had no reason. Again, you, you act when you're driven by your ego and you're in a machlokas, you can sometimes act in a self-destructive fashion. That's exactly what Korach did. He acted in a self-destructive fashion because this wasn't his best interest to participate in this. All right, anyway, we're, we do not have... I, I will not be here next week. I'll be in Poland. We have a mission to Poland, a bus from our shul. Um, Rabbi Moskowitz will be teaching next week, I think, both the Parsha class and his Malachim class. So there will be a Parsha class next week. But wishing everyone a wonderful week.